Hey guys, and welcome back to Jonathan's Bookshelf Presents Black Kings Read. I want to thank everyone who has listened to the podcast thus far, and I want to welcome our new listeners as well. I really hope that you're getting some very good information from my discussions with my guest. That's the purpose and the mission behind this podcast. For this episode, um, I actually was, had a discussion with a different friend, my friend Mac, and we discussed Clay Kane's Live Through This, Surviving the Intersections of Sexuality, God, and Race. I really hope that you get a lot of good information from this because even though for this book discussion, we talked mostly about the book, we also talked about things outside the book, but it all connected back to the theme of um, live through this. Also, because I wanted this podcast out as soon as possible, um, I didn't get a chance to edit the book discussion. So I do apologize if the um, the quality is not that great. But trust and believe, like I said, this is like I keep on saying, I just I'm just more optimistic. This is going to get better and better and better um, as we go along forward. Um, also, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next week as well. So tune in for that. But until then, just enjoy this discussion. And like I said, I hope that you really get some really you get some really good information from this. Without further ado, the book discussion "Live Through This: Surviving the Intersections of Sexuality, God, and Race" by Clay Kane. Hey guys, it's your boy Jonathan. Welcome back to another episode of Black Kings Read. I'm here with my good friend Mac, and we're going to discuss Clay Kane's Live Through This, as I told y'all last week. I'll tell you a little bit about Mr. Clay Kane. He's actually a journalist. He's been in the business for about 20 years. He's based out of New York. He wrote a memoir about his life growing up as biracial kid in Washington State and then later in his teenager, teenagers growing up in Philadelphia. Here joins my friend Mac and we're going to just discuss just a few things about the book itself. Uh, hey Mac, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Doing all right. Mac, just tell the people a little bit about yourself. My name is Mac and I am based in Philadelphia, PA. I have a partner of four years. I am a person with a physical disability, cerebral palsy, so I have a spectrum of intersectionality um, differences. I am African-American and Caucasian, so I am biracial, so I relate to Clay's book and his and the intersections of race and sexuality and God, those various uh, commonalities that happen within the intersectionality spectrum. I did attend college, but I wasn't able to finish due to some constraints in regards to that but otherwise that's about it so yeah thank you for having me Jonathan you're welcome and just so y'all know I met Mac at a in a book club actually that's based out of Philadelphia now this book was not a part of our book club I don't know why but it was not a part of our book club but when the book came out book club 
moderator, he actually put it out there. He was like, hey, this book is out. And the author was actually coming to town because he's, I say, he's from Philly. He came to town and me, Mac, and the moderator, we actually went down to meet Clay, actually to hear him discuss the book. And we, actually, we also met him. And me and Matt read this book, I believe, when it, it, actually when it first came out, which had to be either last year. I think it was last year. So <clears throat> the reason why I picked this book is because me and Matt, were, were, we were discussing this book last year when it came out, some of the things that resonated with us, some of the things that, that stuck out to us. But I would definitely want to put this book on, on the podcast. So, Matt, tell me, you said in the beginning that you relate to this book because, like, like I said, Clay Kane, he's also biracial. He has a black father and a white mother, and he grew up as a, a gay youth. What parts, well, how did this book overall really to you um this is one of the first books that i actually got through in one sitting i was able to read it because like i said i wanted to be able to be able to participate in the book discussion that we attended uh last year when he uh did his book launch and i really related to the book in various ways especially like in regards to race and sexuality because i too am uh, biracial my my dad is black, my mom is white, and I definitely connected in that way to Clay as well. And also um, in regards to sexuality, because I was a gay youth. I came out around 14 or 15 years old. I'm not, I don't recall when Clay came out. Uh, it was probably around the same time uh, when he was younger. I, I also feel that um, it was, it, so in relation to that, I think, I think we often think about there's, there's not just one like intersection. There's, there's like many different intersections and, and we know that all those intersections make us who we are as a, as a person. And sometimes people tend to box you into those intersections, whether it's race or it's sexuality or it's religion or it's class or social economic uh, uh, status, and that's just not true. All those intersections make us who we are. So I definitely was able to relate to Clay in that way, in uh, those two ways, um, as as far as race and sexuality. I'm glad that you mentioned that because intersectionality seems to be like a buzzword that's going around, and I love it because people they do put you in one box. You you're either black or gay or trans, or queer, or Christian, or um, Muslim. But no, there are people who fit into multiple areas, or they identify with multiple ones. So intersexuality says, okay, I'm Black, but I'm also gay. I'm trans, but I'm also Muslim. Or I am trans, Muslim, and I'm middle class. And now people are starting to understand, okay, there's no longer just one definition of people there's things that intersect with, with other identities, whether it's racial, gender, sexual orientation, like I said, class. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Now, in the book itself, he gets really descriptive. Now, there was one part, and I think it was chapter, let's see, this is going to be chapter, well, the way he, I'm sorry, for the re, uh, listeners, he has it broken down into five different chapters, but each chapter has a subchapter. So on chapter one for sexuality, there's a subchapter called asking for it. And in asking for it, he talks about 
when he first was introduced to the quote-unquote lifestyle. Now, I don't like that word, but for this conversation, we're going to use that frame because most people use that, and that's probably the easiest thing that I can explain. But when he first was introduced to how it is in the outside world of being gay, he meets a man who is basically no good. He's a drug dealer. And this drug dealer uses him for his looks because he's a, to describe Clay King, he's very light-skinned, has curly hair, and I believe he's always been tall his whole life, so he's about maybe, but even um, high cheekbones, very good-looking young man. So, in fact, he actually goes out for a competition. For those who have seen the show Pose, there's, I think it's episode six, where there's a face competition, and that's the type of competition that he goes into. But back to, sorry, back to the scene where he meets a guy, and he realizes the guy's using him for sex. He's basically pimping him out to other guys. Mm-hmm. And when he realizes, okay, this guy is no good, he's, he's, he's trying to use me, he leaves him, and then the guy finds another young guy that pimp off. Now, Clay, at that time, he has friends... He has a support group where the young guy that he's trying to reach out to that's also being uh, pimped out, he doesn't have that support system. And one thing about the life, and I was talking to somebody about this, if you don't have a good support system, if you don't have friends that look out for you, and Clay had an awesome friend, has an awesome friend named Nikki Powerhouse, who was right there with him all the way through. If you don't have that support system, you could fall for anything. And that character, Jacob, really sat with me because I know so many young guys and I remember I was having this conversation years ago where people get caught up in what is called the house. Once again, if you see Pose, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you get caught and some houses are good and some houses are bad. When I was in Philly, I remember there was a house that they did criminal activity. Now, where some of them people at, I don't know. But um, I felt like I felt relieved that he had that support system. And that's why I'm bringing this up is because if, if a person who identifies with any, any spectrum of the LGBTQ community, Q plus community, they can get caught up in anything if they don't have that support system. So if, so if anybody's listening to the podcast right now and you have a relative or a friend who is young or old, because nowadays people are coming out a lot later, if they are young, you know, don't cast them aside because there's so much damage that could happen that they could end up dead with the wrong, meeting the wrong person. So my urge, my, my, my urgency to people that is if you know somebody who is young, who identifies, openly identifies, or they think they might be not off your permission that they, you think they are. No, if they tell you face to face that, Hey, my sexual orientation or my sexual identity or my sexual preference is leaning somewhere differently than the social norms, take them and listen to them and just be that support system. Let them know that you are there for them because there are people out there, regardless of who, regardless of the background, there are people out there that will take advantage of them. And in this book, he talks about how this young man was taken advantage of, and we don't know where this young man is at. I know young men and some young women who've been taken advantage of and their lives have been turned upside down. Mm. So what did you think about that 
part when he talked about, like I said, Jacob, he doesn't know where at that time, this is like the late nineties. So who knows how Jacob's life turned out to be. Um, I definitely can relate like in regards to being able to have a support system. I think it's important, especially when you come out at a young age um, as an SGL man or a gay youth, especially to be a gay uh, black youth. I think it's important for us to have mentors. I think it's important for us to have a support system, whether it's family, friends, or, or a coworker or a teacher um, who can be there for you and who could support you in your in your discovery of like who you are um, and your and your identity um, as an LGBTQ person or um, an SGL person. I also think it's critical that that we talk about our experiences and that we voice our experiences to others because we learn from our mentors and we can learn from our from those around us and who um who are there to support us i i know for me that i had a support system especially within my family as well as my friends i, I think that was a critical part of my upbringing and where i am today i don't think i would be who i am today if i didn't have a support system or, or if i didn't have those mentors helping me know uh, what is right from wrong or or you know or you know what being in my corner being able to listen to my experiences as an SGL black black gay youth of a person with disability a person who comes from a low-income family who didn't have much who had to really who like I struggled and I was on public assistance for most of my life and I definitely it's important to be able to have those people that you can talk to and those people you can go to especially a person that that uh, clay had like uh, nikki because i think that's important for him to have that and i'm glad that he had that because uh, she was able to guide his way to be able to guide his way and guide his path and, and like let him know what is right and what is wrong especially within uh, being in the gay scene and uh, just actually coming out so i'm really glad he had that support system and just so you know audience when mac uses the term sgl that stands for same gender loving it's more of a, I want to say politically correct term. It's more of a term that makes more sense. No one uses, if somebody uses the term specifically in the progressive black church, if they use the word homosexual, they're being derogatory. So if they say same gender loving, that's the more contemporary correct term. Because same gender loving can be someone who is gay or bisexual. They are somebody who just loves the same gender. And also, it was another question I'm going to ask you. Two things, one thing on this book, every name in this book, except for Clay, his mother's name and Nikki Powerhouse, every other name in this book is fictitious. Nikki Powerhouse is an actual person. She is a powerhouse. She stands out. Indeed she is. She does. So Nikki Powerhouse is an actual person in Philadelphia. So if you live in Philly, most and if you're in the um, LGBTQ plus community, you know who Nikki Powerhouse is. I've seen her before, but I didn't know her name. And then when I knew her name, I was like, oh, that's Nikki Powerhouse. So um, that's an actual person. And yeah, Clay said it's just his mother and Nikki Powerhouse. And of course him, everyone else, their name is fictitious, but the stories are true. What I want to ask you, Matt, you just talked about how you grew up, you know, a black father, white mother, lower class. For Clay, same similarities. His, his He grew up in Washington State. His mother was actually working in the field. So he talks about how he relates to the immigrant community. His mother basically had to surround his mother's side of the family. They were Jehovah's Witnesses. They are Jehovah's Witnesses. And because 
you know, that his mother wasn't down with that. They, you know, they believe in excommunication. But his father's side of the family is in Philadelphia and they, he doesn't really talk too much about what type of class structure his father came from, but he really talks about his mother's class structure. Right. Um, right. So I like how you say that you can relate to that as well. What other point that you you said talked about the chapter talked about Susie Q I believe Susie Q was is a trans woman if I'm not mistaken if I'm not mistaken I think I think that was like her alter ego I think she was a gay man but I think that was like her alter ego I remember there was a chapter where you know where she got where she got bullied and she went to the car and she got her bat and she went to go fight the guys in the house. I think she was going to a party or something. And they they tried to attack her and stuff. I don't know if you if you like remember that part in the book. Oh, I'm sorry. Susie Q is actually a hammer. I'm sorry. Susie oh, yeah. Q, <laughs> yeah, Susie Q is a hammer. <laughs> the friends, it's actually the friend, yeah. A friend of his. The friend is his Tony. Yeah the, friend, yeah, the friend is Tony. Yeah. Yeah, and Tony, and this was talking about how to protect yourself. That's what CCQ is about protection. And when we mean by protection, protection we don't right. as far as the sexual nature. We're talking about protecting your protecting your body, protecting people from trying to do harm to you. CCQ was actually a hammer because <laughs> that just it's on right. page uh, thirty eight. I just have <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and actually I can read you what it actually no she screamed don't go over there no no she screamed don't go over there she held her grip on him he was seconds from breaking away it's time for Susie q tony yelled as he swung the car door open and divvied into the back seat who the hell is Susie q i expressed myself as the man broke away from his girlfriend and charged down the street tony swiftly popped up of the car and whipped out a huge rusted hammer that was nearly as long as his forearm this mf'er susie q he bellowed gripping the hammer in his hand like a north philly version of thor pointing it at the man who was only a few feet away from us the man stopped eyes fixed on the hammer and nearly tripped over himself the woman screeched so the woman i'm sorry he the tony and clay were down the street and this and this couple a guy and a woman tried to attack him tried to attack both of them and they pulled out, and that's when Tony pulled out the hammer, Susie Q. What in this that you resonated with Susie Q in this chapter? I think the part of, I think his, I think Tony's, Tony's vulnerability um, in this chapter, you know, I really resonated it in regards to me as Black SGL youth, sorry, man, I can sometimes be, be looked at as a target because of my vulnerability and also because I identify with with my femininity because I'm not the most masculine gay male. I am very, what do they call that? Uh, oh, you could see me coming a mile away um, and you know that I am gay uh, based on just once I speak, you know that I am attracted to men. Or so people I think that to, or people choose to stereotype and say that based off of off of preconceived notions of how you act that they that they think you're gay because we know that sexuality is nothing that you can see. Um, you can definitely see 
you can definitely see gender expression. I, I always make the argument, I'm like, you can definitely tell somebody's sexual identity, but not their sexual orientation. So whether somebody's masculine, feminine, androgynous, or non-differential, that's definitely things that you can see. But as far right. as whether somebody likes a man or, sorry, if a guy likes a man or a woman likes a woman or a guy or a person that likes both or likes none. So, cause there's, there's intersex and then there's asexual. That's another part of that. The plus in the LGBTQ um, line. Now they had to go hold the whole bunch of letters. I'm just like, forget it. I'm, I stop after Q, but you can't see sexual identity. You can see sexual identity, but you cannot see sexual orientation. So somebody will look at you. If people still have that, that frame of mind that, Oh, I can tell there's no such thing that you can tell. There's no litmus test. There's no standard that says, okay, if you do this or do that and do this, then you're gay. No, if you do this or do that, then, hey, you might fall into a certain class of sexual uh, expression, <laughs> not identity, expression. But right. there is no way to say, okay, yeah, you're gay because orientation is an internal thing. I just want to put that out there because I want people to, the whole purpose of this podcast is so people can explore outside the box outside the norms because what happens is especially i don't want to pick on them but with black women they'll say things like oh i can tell it's like you what do you mean by you can tell what is it well the way you did this the way you do that i'm like but what if a guy you meet a guy that you really like and then he says that hey you know i'm attracted to men whether he's gay or bisexual the first thing i'll say oh I couldn't tell, like, but once again, it's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. And then you have the whole, you know, on the download. The download is not really something where a man is trying to quote unquote hide himself. It's just that bits off of off of stereotypes and social norms to you that a person who is attracted to a man, a man who's attracted to a man should act like X, Y, and Z. Now, the reason why I have to say specifically for men, SMS, men who have sex with men, is because women are given uh, a whole spectrum. Women, a woman who's attracted to another woman, she can be the most quote-unquote feminine and can be the most masculine, and that's fine. But for men, if you are... If you're gay and you're very masculine, all of a sudden you're you're not gay. You're on the download because you're not giving me hints that you like men. But it's it's once it's not an outward thing; it's an inward thing. So I want people to understand to really understand the difference between sexual orientation, sexual identity, and sexual preference. They're three different things. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want people to understand that because the whole purpose of this podcast is so that black men can think outside the box. But continue, I'm sorry. No, I understand. I am really glad that you were able to clarify that because I kind of went off in a in a different spectrum there and I really wasn't clear in what I meant. So I'm really glad that you clarified that for the uh, for the listeners, right, of the podcast. So so yes, yeah, so I so I related to him in a way in which I admired his uh, vulnerability um, and his truth and his um, authenticity and, and like truly being able to live in who he is, but he was also seen as a target because of who he is and because he lives in his truth and because he stands out and he's being who he truly wants to be. But like based on preconceived notions, we as a society can sometimes perceive people for being what we think they are rather than what they actually believe themselves to be. And we need to start asking those questions instead of just assuming that a person is 
gay, straight, bisexual, asexual, I just think it's important to be able to ask those questions because we don't always want to assume or we don't always want to judge people based on what we think that we know about them. And I think for me, a lot of people tend to assume or perceive a certain thing about me based on my mannerisms. It's actually what I meant from previously. Based on my mannerisms is is like how people perceive me to be a certain way or to act a certain way. Although my outward expression is masculine internally, I I am more in touch with my feminine side basically. Would you define yourself as queer? No. Okay. No. Okay. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. it's funny because queer, queer has a totally different spectrum. I've seen guys identify themselves as queer and it's like, what is queer about you? And I've seen guys identify themselves as queer and it's like, they, they do something, they do something on the borderlines between queer and, and being transgender. So it's like, and then I see people who are, they're on that, it's like, you're masculine, but you say that you're queer. And I, and I guess you define, you define yourself as queer because you don't see yourself being in the social norms. You don't dress a certain way. You don't talk a certain way. You don't act a certain way. I remember actually, I met a, a queer Muslim woman and nothing about her was, to me, was queer. But to her, she defined herself as queer. So if you don't, that's, that's fine because that's what you, that's the choice that you said, okay, I'm going to, I don't identify as queer. And but that's a whole different, like I said, it's a spectrum. People gotta understand. Right. I have to, I have to bring this down to my family all the time. I'm like, just like race, and just like um, with Clay in his book, he identifies as black, but he's biracial. And <laughs> I have to talk about. I have to go into that, but go ahead. I know you are, I, and trust me, I was going to get to that. But when it comes to race, race is a spectrum. You have people who mm-hmm. are black who are from Africa. Then you got African-Americans. Then you got people right. who are racial. Race is a spectrum. You got people who are one-eighth black, but seven-eighths, whatever. And they mm-hmm. identify as black. You have black people from the Caribbean. You got black people from South America. Mm-hmm. Race is a spectrum. Even Not just black, even Caucasian, even Asian. Every race, there's a spectrum. There's no one absolute Oh, you're definitely you're definitely Korean. There are people who are mixed with Korean and Japanese. There are people that are mixed with black and and black and French. There are people in some and actually black French and Indian that's Creole. So race is a spectrum. Um, religion is a spectrum. You have people who are their um, traditional Christians, and you have the progressive Christians, and you have people that are in between. It's funny how for race or religion. For age, age is a spectrum. You got people from who are just born to people that are up to a hundred plus. Age is a spectrum. Class is a spectrum. You got people who live below the poverty, and you've got people that are in the one percent. It's funny that we can accept spectrums for every other category, but we cannot accept accept spectrums when it comes to gender, sexual identity, or sexual orientation. It's like you have to be gay or straight. There is no, some people there's no bisexual. They don't believe in that. You can't be, you, you have to be male or female. You have to be binary. There are people who are non-binary that don't identify with either male or female. There are people who I don't identify with being totally feminine or totally masculine. There's a spectrum. You have androgynous. 
it can go, it can lean towards the feminine or it can lean towards the masculine or it can be straight in the middle or non-differential. They just don't choose both. They just say, I'm, I'm just me. I'm just, I, I don't identify with either one of those. So we need to understand that, that there's also spectrums in sexuality, sexual orientation, and sexual identity. Now, back to you and you growing up, because in the book, Clay, he's growing up in Washington State. He's being labeled as gay based off of his mannerisms. And when he's being made fun of, he's not only talked about how what they identify, they label him as being gay. They also know that, hey, this kid is black, even though he's light. You can tell that he's mixed. And in fact, one chapter starts out where somebody, a kid calls him, you effing the N-word, mm-hmm. F-word, F-A-U-T. So, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not effing. He is you, F-A-G-G-O-T, N-word. And N-word, and just so you know, it is with the E-R. If, it, if that makes a difference to anybody, it doesn't make a difference to me, but if it makes a difference to somebody, the, the little girl does call him N-I-G-G-E-R. Talk about, you want to talk about that, talking about growing up as a biracial child, specifically a biracial man who identifies as being Black, because Clay identifies as being Black. Sorry about that. Go ahead and um, talk about that. Yeah, when he um, when he started talking about race, I race I really begin to connect with it because I didn't realize because I had thought that his mom was black and his dad was white but it's actually the same way that my parents are so I was I am from California but I was raised in I was brought up in a Grambling uh, Louisiana so in the south I was raised with my dad's family so that alone was a connection to that heritage, to who he is as a person. I think that over time, we begin to develop our own identity, especially being being a person who is biracial, uh, trying to figure out uh, where do you fit in? Because a lot of people want you to pick and choose. You can't be this, or you can't be that. Or you have to either be white or you have to be black or you have to be gay or straight. Or you can't like choose. So I think, So I think for me, I do identify as a Black man, I am proud of that. I am proud of who I am because I am my dad's namesake. I was, I was named him when I was born, of course. And I think for me, that is something that I really am strong about, and I really, and I really take that seriously. And with race, with race relations today, that tends to be challenged and and questionable for for a lot of people because we still have that two, we still have that uh, one drop rule that if you have a, a, that if you have one percent of black you are black right so so for me that is a part of my identity and that's what that I believe to be true for me but in but like from the outside looking in and how the world sees me and also how I see myself that is how you self-identify you see how the world sees you and then you have your own you you begin to develop your own self-identity I mean how you want to see yourself and I related to Clay in that way because he also he too also identifies as black um, although he is biracial right I know somebody who he is biracial his parents divorced when he was young um, his mother is black sorry his mother's his mother's white his father is black his father is deceased he identifies as a black man with a white mother that's how he that's how he describes himself for clay but but the unique thing about clay was that he was not raised by his father he was raised by his mother he was raised by his mother right exactly exactly that was the um 
that was the thing that surprised me because I don't think he never he never spoke of that. And I think there was one point in the book where he was in Seattle and his mom his mom suggested that he moves Mm-hmm. moved to Philadelphia with his father to get to know his cousin side of his family mm-hmm. because you know that was something that she could not teach him how to be black and I think that that was a very uh, powerful choice that I she agree. made as a mother um, to actually um, have him uh, relocate to yes. actually Philadelphia because he was uh, born in Seattle am I correct? He, yes he was he was born in I think either Tacoma or Seattle but somewhere in Washington State yes absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that was a powerful, a powerful statement in the book. And I know for me that that was something that I believe, that was something that my sister um, had to make a choice to do because at, because at one point um, I, was, um, I was actually with my mother and she made some poor choices in life um, in regards to her relationship. And my sister had to come get me and she brought me down to where my dad lived in Louisiana, which is, um, which is a grambling state mm-hmm. where GSU is. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the home of the um, HBCU. Yes. Uh, love, I love uh, them all. Right. Yeah, I went to Southern for a semester, so Grambling was our rival. I was supposed to go to the Bayou Classic this year. I don't think I'm going. But yes, I'm very familiar with GSU. Yes. Yeah, so that was where I was raised, and that is where I call home. I was also raised a Southern Baptist, and so that's where faith actually came into my life. It was when my dad, um, he had me in church, and that was something that I was really really proud of so so I think that that also plays a part and I'm still in church today because that allows me to have a connection with my dad um, who is actually no longer living he is not here with me but he is here with me in spirit so I really feel connected to that part of my identity and I always will be he was an integral part of my life like he was a very very important person of like who I am today and so he played a vital part thank you so much for mentioning that because I know people who are biracial and they don't have, I, here's funny because I know biracial people from both spectrums. They were raised with, they were never really raised with both. They were raised with either their black family or they're raised with exactly. their white family. It's right. like, it's some of them, very few of them were raised with both, but most of them is like, okay, I know one guy in particular, because his father married a black woman, his father's side of the family wanted nothing to do with him. So all he knew was his black side of the family. And there's some people, some people is vice versa. It's very interesting. And that's why it is funny because he did not really have a relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. Before he moved in with his father, he could count on one hand how many interactions he had with him because of the mm-hmm. distance and all that. Clay, if I'm not mistaken, this book is an only child. He doesn't talk about siblings too much. So I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I think that on both sides of the family, he's an only child. So he, he does have a cousin. He talks about uh, um, Althea, who is hilarious, but he doesn't have any siblings. Yes, she is. She, she is a mess, but he doesn't have any siblings. But he, for his mother to understand what it, to understand that, listen, I can't teach you how to right. be a black man in America. Right. I got to send you with, to your father, whom you really don't have a connection with. But I know that's a part of me that I can't give to you. Shout right. out to his mother for doing that because that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of tenacity. She wasn't trying to get rid of him. She loves her son, but she understands the complexity it is raising a black a black man in America. And mm-hmm. any parent who and, and actually I know I went to school with a girl. She has a biracial daughter, but the father's mm-hmm. not in her life. And she's like, even though my daughter, to be more to be honest with you, I hate to use this term, but her daughter passed for white, but my daughter is biracial. 
and I can't teach her what it is to be a black woman because his side of the family has no connection to me whatsoever. But like I said, shout out to his mother for actually doing that. And shout out to your sister. To get, first of all, I met Mac's sisters and they are awesome. I, I love them. They are awesome people. But shout out to your sister for coming to get you so you could get that experience. Let me ask you this. Why do you choose to identify as, as black? Because you have you. Because <laughs> first, first of all, if you if anybody, uh, of course, the video is not going to be uploaded. But if right. you ever see Mac in person, you think he's Puerto Rican, just off the bat. Yes. <laughs> people go to Mac and just start speaking in, in Spanish, and he, he looks like he's stupid. A lot of biracial people look some sort of of the Latinx community, but exactly, Matt looks, Matt looks like a Puerto Rican. I was gonna be honest with you. So <laughs> meeting him is like, wait, you're biracial? Like, yes. It's like, oh, I thought you was Puerto Rican. Like, why? Yeah, that is that is so funny. You mentioned that because I get that all the time. Not too many people can tell. Well, only the black people can tell that I have black features. But if it's somebody else who actually um, who's actually meeting me that is what they immediately go to uh, is like a Puerto Rican. And then they start speaking to me in Spanish and I'm lost. Like, what did you just say? So it's definitely, and I, I know your sister's well, I guess, it all the time too. Cause I, cause your sisters look Puerto yeah, Rican too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They do. They, yeah. Yeah. They do look Puerto Rican. But the reason why I can truly say that it has to be, it's really that foundation. Like you said, when like you were biracial, you're not, you have noticed that most biracial children are not raised by both parents. I mean, it's either one or the other. And, you know, for me, I was raised by my father. And so that's what, that is what I was around. That's the culture I was around. Those are the people that I was around. And I believe for me that that was a critical part of my upbringing. And I'm very glad. I am very happy that my sister did what she had to do to, to like bring me to that part of who I am or to bring me to my dad because of some choices that my mother made in the past. Um, also because I'm his namesake and because I'm very proud of the, I am proud of the person that he is and like who he stood for. And I was just, I was just raised. I was just one of those very lucky black gay youth to be raised with his father. I don't think my dad knew that I was gay because I never really came out. I don't really have a coming out story to him that I was able to really share that to like really sharing that experience but I guess it's just it's it's like just the upbringing and I think that your background and has a lot to do with who you become and and how you identify I think that your childhood and your upbringing plays a lot in that and I was very fortunate to be raised with my dad what do you say to people who who are biracial and they choose not to identify with either being black or white. They choose to identify with both. And unfortunately, because I, I have biracial, actually they're triracial. I have triracial nieces Tri- and nephews. Yeah, my nieces. Okay. Yeah, my nieces and nephew, my nephew, sorry, my nephew, my nieces, they are Mexican, black, and white. The mother is Mexican and white. But for the sake of argument, her mother's their mother's just white. But I'm try- my, my niece gets it. She identifies with Black. My nephew identifies as biracial. My other niece identifies as biracial as well. But my niece gets that, you know, I am a Black girl living in 
in predominantly white America. society. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. In America, right. In and white America, yeah. Exactly. And I, I tell my nephew, I'm like, I understand that you identify as being biracial. That's fine. But when they look at you, they don't see a biracial boy. We don't live in that type of society. So what do you say mm-hmm. to people who identify with both? They, they're, they're very, I know people who are staunch, you know, I'm biracial. I'm biracial. It's like, no. It, to me, I'm like, no, I, you're black. So what do you say to people like that? Because I can't speak for them because I'm not biracial. I'm this. My grandmother was just a very fair-skinned woman, so that's why I'm on the light side. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people such as that that say that they identify with biracial, they refuse to choose one race? I mean, I would agree with what you say. You, That's not how the world is. We don't see just like biracial. It's just based on what society sees you as and society is going to see you as either black or white it's not both of the spectrums and I think that that's the challenging part of being biracial you have to decide which part of your identity you feel most comfortable with and you and you most identify with basically I think that I don't tell people that I'm biracial people try to put that on me that's what they want to call me mm-hmm. but that's not what i self-identify as i don't self-identify as biracial i'm mm-hmm. a black man living in america mm-hmm. who whose mother happens to be white and that's how i believe that to be for myself though though like there was this one time where you know people would come up to me and it was this one time where this white lady i'm um, actually coming to me and asked me am i white well i'm not gonna lie and say I'm not because I know that that's part of my history and that's who I am. But at the same time, I would correct her and let her know that I am an African-American male. I am, well, I am biracial, but biologically I am biracial, but that's not how I identify if you get what I'm trying to say. Right. So, so I just think it's up to the person and I respect how people identify, but, but like I know in my core core that that's just not how the world is. That's, that is white America. That's how it works. And and it's just not, you can't, you have to pick and choose. That's just how life is. That's just how it works. And I just think that's how, that is how race religion, race relations work in America. And, and it's sad, but that's just, that is just how I see it. And that is how others see it as well. That, absolutely. And thank you. That absolutely. I agree with you 100%. That is how the world sees it. And that's a very difficult conversation because there are people who will fight you on and say, now we, because we, we talked about intersectionality earlier. So, mm-hmm. it's, so it's like, are you contradicting yourself? No, it's not the contradicting of intersectionality. This is just how the myopic world sees, mm-hmm. world sees race. Sexuality is more different than race. Sexuality, you can't see. Sexual expression, exactly. but sexuality, you can't see. You can't look like I had, I had a friend who was transgender. If you look at her, you can't tell that she was born male mm-hmm. because she, not because of the thing that she does, because her body has always been conditioned to, she produced more hormones, than, um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, more than testosterone, I'm sorry, more estrogen than testosterone. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So for a transition, it was pretty easy, but that's just an internal thing. You can't look and tell where, where race, you can look at somebody's race and define them because unfortunately your race does 
define who you are. Actually, mm-hmm. I just put an article on Facebook. It was a very stupid article. This woman who's a evangelist who says, I don't identify as a black woman. She's a black woman. I don't identify as a black woman. I identify as a Christian woman. Whatever. <laughs> um, whatever. Yeah, right. like whatever. And um, I'm having a discussion with somebody about this that says, I see what she's saying, but she is wrong. You know, she was, you know, give me religious rigmarole and all that stuff. But she's like, but, you know, in the end, she is wrong. She is a black woman. As long as we're on this earth right now, she is a black woman. Mm-hmm. Your father, this one, your father is African-American. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. African-American all the way up and through. Yes. Okay. Because you showed me a picture of your father. And the first thing I thought was that he was Nigerian. <laughs> and, and I'm saying that. Was it he was Nigerian? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I thought when you saw me. You showed me the picture. He's like, no, he's African American, and now I see with the last, with your last name, he he would have to be African American. But the reason why I say that is because there's a difference between having an African American father and having an African father like Obama. There is a right, right, a com- totally completely different thing. Yes. Yeah, because yes. one people don't understand is that Obama is not African American. American. He's he American. Sorry. He is Kenyan. Right. He's American with African descent, which is Kenyan. Right. He's an right. American with, of African descent. He is black. That's no lie. Right. If you say he's the first black president, yes, you're correct. He's not the first African American president because right. by definition he's not, because the census used to define African American, those who are descendants of African, those are descendants of African slaves into America because we know that the African diaspora slaves went from America to the, I think, America, the Caribbean, and South America, and mm-hmm. Central America, too. But he is, Obama is, by definition, listen, people, by definition, Obama's not African-American. He is Afri- he is American-African descent. And people are like, well, somebody asked me, well, well, why? What's the difference? There was a young man who won a scholarship, and scholar- a scholarship for African-Americans. African-American youth. He was actually Pakistani by his nationality. He's Pakistani. But how did he get the scholarship? Well, although he's Pakistani, he was born in Africa, and then later he became naturalized as a U.S. citizen. So by that definition, he's African-American. His nationality is Pakistani. Well, Obama, his nationality is Kenyan and American, but he's not African-American. He did not come through the lineage of slaves. So he's the first black president. He's the first American, the first black president, but he's not the first African-American president. So you have that issue, you know, with people whose father or mother was from the, from native America, native Africa or native Jamaica or native. Um, um, and then they marry somebody who is, who is either Caucasian that is um, an American and say, okay, but now I'm African-American. It doesn't work that way. Um, mm-hmm. Because Af- people who are descendants of slaves, we have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into making this country the way it is. But there's a whole other subject we're not going to get into. In fact, one of my favorite speakers, she said this in reference to Obama. The descendants of African-American slaves have a different experience. Our experience is different from those who were not raised in the, di- in the lineage of African slaves. 
our lineage is different. So that's why when I look at Obama, I don't, I know that he's not African-American. I know that he's black. I can see that. But I know that by definition, he's just an American of African descent. I think there was one more point that you wanted to bring up. Or I might be wrong about that. Um, I actually wanted to go back to the point where you were talking about his mother, about Clay's mother. Okay. And how you respected her so much for doing what she did, um, sending him to Philadelphia with her dad and how she understood the complexities of race, of race relations in America. And unfortunately, that's the difference between me and Clay is that my mom didn't understand those things. Or I think she probably understood those things, but she refused to acknowledge those things or she refused to understand what's going on in the world. Um, my mom is not one to talk about race. My mom is not one to deal with those topics or to want to be around those topics or to hear me talk to my friends about it because it really upsets her and it really makes her feel a certain type of way and truth and truth be told my mother does have her racial undertones i'm afraid to admit that but but like she is that way but doesn't mean i love her any less but she doesn't understand why i identify the way i identify and it's not for her to understand because that was a choice she made when she chose to marry my father. You have to understand that when you make these choices in life, you have to know what the consequences are going to be in the future. If you if you actually decide to bear to bear kids with this person, you have to understand what that experience is going to be like for those kids um, as well. And and you don't know how they're going to be brought up or like how they're going to identify or uh, what they're going to experience. And my mom isn't okay with that, but like she accepts it. And she, she like tries to understand why I identify with being black, whereas identifying with whiteness, I just have never connected to that side of like who I am. But does it mean that I discredit, but does it mean that I discredit um, the role that she played in my life as a mother? Because, because, you know, she was there for me. I'm at a very, I'm at a very young age of being a child born with a physical disability. I mean, she was there, like I give her that credit. But at the later time in my life, um, when I became a teenager, my dad kind of took on that role of being the nurturer, of like really taking a vital role like in my life. And yes, I just wanted to speak on that because you know, that's a challenge for my mom. And I think that that was one of the big differences between mine and Clay's. And I just, when you said how your mother felt uncomfortable talking about race and nodding in agreement, because I know, as to be frank and honest with you, my nieces and nephews' mother is the same exact way. She does not like talking about race or racism. In fact, me and her husband, who's also Black, we had a discussion about the crack epidemic. We Just a normal discussion about how drugs is pumped into the Black community and, you know, how the crack, uh, I can't hardly talk today, the crack epidemic is treated differently than the opioid crisis today, how you know, when the crack epidemic was affecting Black people, they put us in jail. But when the opioid mm-hmm. crisis is affecting white people, all of a sudden they talk about treatment. And right, right. And we, me and him, were having this discussion, and we're just just talking, like me and you talking. But she's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, y'all being racist," and y'all, I'm like, "But this is what happened. This is these are facts. These things happen." Well, you're being racist. This is. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? It's a discussion. People talk about this as a day is long. I'm like, look, you cannot have black children, be black, married to a black man, and expect not exactly, to exactly. Oh. Thank you. And that was the point I was trying to explain to my mother. You have to understand that you married not one black man, but two. So my older sister, uh, the one you met, she was raised by my father, but like that isn't her biological father. 
But well, I um, meant both so, of sisters, so I'm guessing you're talking about right. the house that I went to. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. So her dad is actually Cuban and her whole family on um her whole family on his side lives in California. So she really got to understand that uh, DNA plays a huge, huge part in how you identify. But she met them later in life. I mean, she realized um, how much she is like them and how much they actually raised their kids the same way and how they have, have had a similar experiences. Uh, but it was unfortunate uh, uh, that they weren't raised in the same household. Mm-hmm. And and that definitely plays a part. Um, although, although my dad raised her from a young age, she still connects to that side of her family and that's okay and the that is her identity um so right and that's that it 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 really it is really telling and i mean and first of all shout out to all the people who are interracial relationships and they have no problem with teaching their their child or their their children both sides and they talk about, about race, race. Right. they talk about race shout out to those to those parents thank you so much we meet we need more people like you even parent even white people who don't have any biracial children or adopt any black kids but they just they just want to talk about race and racism thank you for having that conversation because there are even black people who don't want to talk about race i don't know why but just shout out to you thank you so much but you can't marry somebody Sorry? And you can't ignore it. You, you cannot ignore it. No, not at all. And back to intersectionality, it, can, it doesn't have to be a race thing. It could be a culture thing. It could be a religion thing. You can't marry somebody of a different um, upbringing than you and then not expect to understand it or talk about it. So. Um, thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Thank you. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this discussion trust me our next discussion is going to be very um, interesting the next discussion won't be until next month but episodes will be following in the next few weeks stay tuned into this podcast to tell you what's coming up thanks so much y'all take care now bye thank you take care